As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful, Herbal Face Food, for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You.
Welcome back to the podcast. I have one of my best friends here today. His name is Jeff Burroughs. He is a hip-hop iconoclast, I guess you would say. He brings, I mean, that's what I would say. (laughs) We've known each other almost 20 years. He, his work is to bring, let's say formally, cultural relevance to brand initiatives and artists. He has worked with some of today's most innovative brands. He was the head of commercial for Simon Cowell. He built solid brands for so many creators. They use Simon's global platforms. They use the X Factor, America's Got Talent. Music is really at the core of every initiative you've ever led. Um, You've been, as you say, fortunate enough to have developed successful brand strategies for Grammy award-winning world-class artists such as P. Diddy. Two Chains, YG, top-rated TV programs like The X Factor, host of CPG companies. You're you're a big deal. I forget this because I love you so much and you're just my buddy. <laughs> but you're a big deal. Um, you were the executive vice president of Bad Boy for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that for sure because that was – it was kind of at the tail end of that is when we met. So I have yeah. – my morning dream this morning, you can't even make this shit up, was – we were at, it was some birthday party for you. Diddy was there. It was a, it was a recollection, not really like a made up dream, but we were back in this restaurant where the walls and everything was quite red and very sexy and beautiful. And we were all at a super long table and Diddy was holding up a glass and he was just loving you, loving on you. It was so beautiful. I was so proud to be your friend. And I woke up like, Whoa. And I realized that happened over what, 15, 17 years ago or something like that. Yeah, wow. I was right back there. Um, Good times. It was good times. There were tables that were danced on. Yes, yes. (laughs) You did did a fair amount of that. My gosh, you've just been assigned as the SVP of marketing for Def Jam. I want to say congratulations. Thank you. um, Best of luck to you. This is not an easy time to be taking that on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think you're made for it. Um, I want to talk today about a few things. One, I want to talk about your history with music, how it got installed in your body from such an early age, who were your greatest influences, and then I want to take it from there. Mm, My greatest musical influences. Mm -hmm. I would say probably my first musical influence is church. Um, My mom used to take me to church every Sunday as a kid. And my favorite part was when the choir would sing. (sighs) And the feeling and the emotion that would just pervade the entire space. I mean, I mean, suck up all the air in this fever, in this joy, in this energy was like the most moving part of my week. So I would I would definitely say that the how I found music was the feeling. Mm. Um, I always found the feeling. And then my dad, you know, would buy me, buy me albums because we lived out in the country in New Jersey and I just lived around, around all white people, really. I was like, the, we were like the only black family in this white township. Mm. So my dad didn't want me to be like corny. So he would bring me, he would bring me like, Shaka Khan and Earth, Wind and Fire and the Jackson <sighs> Five and Stevie uh-huh. Wonder, the Marvin Gaye. Like he would he would hit me with whatever he was listening to. Right. And um and he and he has great taste in music. I mean, so um so that's all I really had. I had that and I had, you know, an AM transistor radio mm-hmm. and whatever whatever was on the radio when we were driving in the car, which was mostly pop stations. So I had this weird kind of confluence of of musical kind of inspirations going on in my head. Right. Um, and then lastly, I would say Broadway. You know, my mother, my mother is a fan of theater. And as a little boy, she would take me to, to Broadway shows like Pippin. And I would hear these big, big musical numbers mm. that, you know, were so intricate and so full of, so full of music and emotion that, that it spurred me towards having a deep passion towards music. Wow. God bless the Shaka Khan influence. 
Yeah, man. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. And your parents are still alive. My parents are both 85 years old this year. Wow. Yeah, blessed. They're fine. They're, they're perfectly healthy. Everybody's in great shape. Wow. Everybody's in great shape. You know. And your sister? Yeah, my sister's is here for the summer with the, the kids and we're all oh, hanging out. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah, she's she's uh I'm always loving when my sister's around. She's my favorite person. I know, so, I remember this. Great. I remember I remember seeing the two of you together, all of her freckles and <laughs> thinking oh God, I love her face. And thinking I wish for that for all humans that they should have a sibling relationship like the one that you guys have. Yeah, we're tight. It's good. It's the best. When you were growing up as the only black family, which I, I didn't know this about you, I wasn't <laughs> sure where you grew up. What was that about? And I'm going to ask one hard question, which is when did you realize that the system was actually worked working against you in that realm? The first time that I read my first experience with real racism, yeah, I was a I was a Cub Scout, so oh, I don't damn know, it! I, I might have been like five or six. I'm already upset. And uh, we're in the grocery store, and you know I'm just kind of hanging on my mom's skirt, and I see my den mother from the mm. Cub Scouts, and I'm like, hey, Miss So and So, Miss So and So. And she's not responding. I'm like, oh, she must not be hearing me. So I'm like, Miss so-and-so, Miss so-and-so. And the woman's just like looking straight ahead. Now, this is a woman that I, I see once a week for the past months or whatever. So I know she knows me. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like playing myself. I'm like, Miss so-and-so, Miss so-and-so, like waving and everything. And my mother notices and, you know, that that my mother has this dead look, this real serious mm-hmm. look in her eye and... You know, I can see just how upset she is. And she's like, that's okay, Jeffrey. Ignorance is bliss. And it kind of pulled me out of the store, like just confused. And then, you know, sat me in the car and, you know, had a little talk about some some people aren't so friendly. Some people aren't so nice. And that was the end of my Cub Scout career. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that. I'm a little, I'm a little speechless on this one. Um, so you never went back to the Cub Scouts. That was the end of that. Yeah, that was the end of that. <laughs> School was fine, relatively speaking. Um, in terms of race relations. Yes. I mean, we were. I was a little boy, so some, you know, some people would call me. You know, people would call me nigger. People would call me names. Mm-hmm. Most of it just kind of. Most of it just fell off of me. Yeah. Only one time did it bother me. We were we were reading about. I think it was like third grade. Yeah, this it definitely bothered me because I remember it. third grade. Yeah. We were reading about slavery, and the kids were saying that it's a story about me, and the teacher kind of allowed it. I and mean, then this went on for days, and 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 maybe maybe a couple of weeks. We were on that section or whatever. But the kids would like pick on me about it, and and the teacher it was Mrs. Smith, mm. Mrs. Smith, and the teacher allowed it. And I remember feeling really, really ashamed, mm. and feeling ashamed, and, and and confused. Yeah. So I'm going to back up for a second, and I'm just going to say that for the last, I don't know, three weeks or so, I'm spending like five hours a day learning the whole history of this country, the stuff that I wasn't taught since the 1400s from England, Portugal, Spain, France, and coming across the ocean to this land where all of the indigenous people were categorically murdered and their land was taken. And then with the advent of slavery, and none of this really did I understand the depth or the profundity of it. I didn't understand that it was really basically a genocide, not unlike the Holocaust, just over a longer period of time. Had no, really not a concept about it. Mm. I was in a predominantly white school. We had a few black families, all of whom I loved. And I've recently realized that every time I saw a black girl my age, I, I had this sense for some reason that they were royalty and 
all I wanted was to look like that. <laughs> That's like the truth of the truth. I, it just, the, the remembrance landed on me when I was talking to another friend of mine recently. Anyway, I say all of this to preface my next question, which is, at what point did you realize that you didn't need to respect the structures that were in place and that you could just do whatever your heart desired with your life, because that is ultimately what you did. And I want to have that as the inspirational crux of who I know you to be and of this talk that we're having. Um, my father used to always say, <laughs> and always st and still says, and now I say to my sons, mm. laws are made for those who don't know how to govern themselves. He would, he would say that all the time. Laws are made for those who don't know how to govern themselves. Laws are made for those who haven't governed themselves. So I, I feel like I grew up with this kind of understanding that I needed to, that I was going to make my own rules, that I was going to, I was going to create my own path, my own paradigm of, of life, the, yeah. the way that I wanted it to be for me. And I don't know if I've, you know, I'm, I'm practicing that. I'm practicing that. I don't know if I ever own that because the reality of my life is that I'm consistently under attack. Mm -hmm. um, I'm consistently having to fight battles on multiple fronts. Mm -hmm. It's um, it's an interesting thing being a black man living your life. You know, the, the fear, the frustration, the rage, the passion, you know, all of it comes together yeah. um, when you're reaching for whatever it is that you're reaching for. And, you know, thank God I found yoga through you and mm -hmm. I was able to kind of like contain my rage and find useful ways to utilize my frustration and put all those emotions to work to the to the betterment of myself and my family and my community um but i think to to answer your question um i've always felt that i was going to have to create the life that i wanted to live that there was no blueprint mm -hmm. for what it was that i wanted and I, I was lucky enough to have a dad that was you know such a wild boy <laughs> like, he really I is spirited wow. you know father that that, you know, he was setting the path, right. really, you know, that my, my greatest hero is my father. He was really setting that you could have a great time all the time, you know, mm -hmm. that no matter what happens, you, you can find a way to, you can find a way to party in that moment, you know, no matter what, make sure you find a way to find your smile in, in all of it and, and celebrate all the time and the smallest things of blessings. So while I reach for the greatest I still can see every teeny tiny blessing that is before me in, in every moment. I have seen this in you. That's why I wanted to ask the question, because to me, <clears throat> to the outside world, it really does feel like you are designing, achieving, getting, and moving forward all the time. I think it's important for my, what I know to be a predominantly white audience to hear all of what you've previously said, to hear the truth of what it means to be a black man growing up and living his life in this society. You live now in rural New York and you're, you're heading up one of the biggest record label resurrections ever. And to all appearances, it would seem like no problem whatsoever. You're rocking it in every single position that you've held. I am interested in sharing with my listener what it means to, um, to overcome these various ridiculous, long-held, unnecessary, unsustainable obstacles that you faced. You know, how do you teach your kids about that? How do you make it through yourself? What gold is there to mine from this? Mm. To my, to my children, you know, my oldest boy is now about to be 14. Yeah, they're both the same age, Bailey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Jonah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, to Bailey, I have to have very real conversations, you know, yeah. that 
that he's a threat to his society. Yeah. His skin is a threat. His movements, how he talks, what his gaze means, and how many people that sets off in different ways and how careful he has to be. So the reality of it is, is it breaks my heart to have to have these conversations. I mean, it literally breaks my heart because I don't, I don't want him to have to live with one arm tied behind his back, but that's literally the society that we're in. It won't be fair for him. It won't be fair. And so what I told him the other day is like, you have to be great. You have to be greater. You can't be good. You have to be greater because they're going to keep throwing shit at you and you just have to just be stronger that you could get back up. You could jump over that, that, that hurdle. You can have uncomfortable conversations. You can develop tact and skill and charm and guile, and you could be great. You could be scientific about your business, not just instinctual, but you can understand the data. You can understand the research. You have soul in your body so you can feel what soul does for your imagination and you can trust your intuition. So, I mean, I just put the, the battery in his back to be great. You know, yes. when I drop them off at school every day, the last thing I say is be great. Don't be good. Be, be proud of yourself. Like, can you make yourself proud of yourself yes. all the time? Like, as long as you're making yourself proud of yourself, that's really all I can ask as a pops. You know, just make yourself proud. You know, do a, you're going to always have to do a little bit more. It's never going to feel fair. But after a while, that shit just gets, you just normalize that shit. You know, you just normalize, like, you just normalize it. You normalize that it becomes a habit, that being being great is a habit. No, knowing that you're going to have to think in three different dimensions in the room yeah. is a habit. And I think, you know, I think women deal with that all. All minorities deal with that. I think different people from different ethnic backgrounds, they have to, everybody has their burden. This yeah. is what the burden of the black man sounds like. Or my experience of it, you know, and how I see it and, and, and what I've seen. I've seen a lot of young executives. I've trained a lot of young executives and um, I, I have to give them a different kind of uh, advice on their path so that they could deal with it properly. How do you, there's so many things I want to ask. Well, first of all, just for the listener who happens to be interested in what's being said, but maybe hasn't actually done the research and the study that is required to know the depth of what Jeff is referencing. It's important to look back to the 1400s and see what happened when these folks came across the ocean and, and wiped out an entire population of Native Americans. And it's really important to see what happened. You can look at easily the 1619 project when you look at that Portuguese slave ship that got hijacked by English. And that's kind of where it all began. And here we are 2020, we're 400 years later, and we are having a conversation that is based upon that moment in time. We are now stuck with the remnants the residue of something that is so old that doesn't belong to us, and yet it totally does. And I think for my listener, I, I just want to put in front of you the following task, that if you are white or white passing, it is on us to learn as much as we can about this so that we can start to understand the depth of the the the... It's just such a fucking mistake that you have to teach your kid where to keep his hands and how to speak and how to how to control himself and live not two but even three four different dimensions at a time so that he can manage everyone else's experience of him that's the mistake and that's the thing that we have to spend the rest of our lives i feel making right my oh. voice is shaking i'm just pissed off i'm still pissed that's potent. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I'm just doing as much studying as I can, but I'm so upset that you have to fucking say that to Bailey. That pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> you know that Jonah doesn't, I don't have to say that to Jonah. Jonah doesn't have to worry about where his pants are or 
whether he puts his hood up. Yeah. <sighs> Pisses me off. In any case, happier things. You can't cry later. Dude, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> I'm really trying not to cry. It's, it's, you know what it is also? It's hearing, you know, you're like one of my oldest friends in New York and hearing you as a father, you know, and picturing you opening the car door and him closing the car door and you saying what you're saying. It's just, it just just opens and bursts open my heart into a million pieces in a good way. You know, it's so beautiful to see, to see you. Um, I want to talk about your work though. Let's. And you know, all my children, my daughter is the same. I get to tell yeah. them that every day I drop them off. That's a blessing. That's right. Your baby girls, <clears throat> you know, God was good when he gave you baby girls. I'm just going to no say that. No wow. <laughs> I earned them. <laughs> you did. You actually did. Um, all right. I want to talk about work, though. I want to talk about work because I know that Ooh. what you're doing right now is is so much fun for all of us to see you, uh, you know, an industry now veteran. We're, we're old enough to say that you're an industry veteran. I can't get over it. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I want to hear, give me the, the favorite moment with in your time with um, with Bad Boy, your favorite moment. What's the first thing you think of? Favorite moment, bad boy. God, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I can think of a. I can think of of, of different moments, right? Okay. I don't think I have a favorite. Okay. Um, one day, and this is when we're well into it. Puff is working on. Uh, he's working on victory. Um, mm. We have to have a meeting because we always had to have a meeting. And Puff never, he didn't work out of the office. He worked pretty much from the studio and just from wherever he was. So I would have to always go wherever he was. And this particular day, he was mixing Victory and he was also vocaling Victory, but he was by himself. Wow. And Puff was never by himself. You know, he was always, there was always a gang of people, assistants and engineers and other A&R guys and artists. And there was always, so many people. So it was just he and I, and he, he was, you know, he was mixing the record himself and it was magical to me watching him take all the files and put them into what I believe is one of the best bad boy records produced. It was, it was magical watching him work because I think of all the many things that I, I admire Puffy for and, you know, love, love, love that brother and for, for everything he taught me. But the pure joy I watched him have while he was mixing the record, I was like, oh, this is actually what he's most brilliant at. Yeah. He's most brilliant at taking pieces and putting them together. You know, like like everything that he ever created was like a, like a, a great sample, but he would mm -hmm. just make it that much better. You know, Sean John is really Agnes B. And... Chirac right. really absolute <laughs> remix. You know, like Revolt is MTV. Like he's just he's just oh, the greatest remixer, producer ever. But but watching him that day was was a highlight. Uh, he and I really enjoyed mm. um when we did we did something called the Soul Train Awards. It doesn't happen anymore, but it was the Bad Boy family and we did the Soul Train Awards and for those that are very old. Might remember. Dude, if you were born in 1970 or previously, you know what Soul Train was. So, so big is performing, Puff is performing, the locks, Faith, thanks the whole family. And, and we had on these um, baseball uniforms created. So it was like a team. But Big didn't have any shoes that fit. That his style is <laughs> the wrong shoes. So <laughs> it's just madness and mayhem backstage. <laughs> so many people and so much so much so much at stake and it's you know it's a big deal for us because i don't think we had ever really been on tv definitely not as a family and uh and big had to go out standing on the back of the shoes like the, the shoes didn't fit so he had to put them off like slides oh my god oh my god <laughs> go out and go out and rock um but it worked and and that was a very very special moment and then um Love that. 
you know, we had a lot of, we had, we had so many great, great times. But I wouldn't say like, oh, it was when we won a Grammy. It was when we no. did the MTV award. You know, it was like, it was all these little things that weren't really public, but were, were just special to me. You know, like right. the camaraderie of how, how we would pull, we would always fight, but at the camaraderie of how we would pull together, when the lights came up, everybody was a star. Everybody. Mm -hmm. Random, just remembrance. I was watching last week, instead of my morning meditation, I was watching Snoop Dogg talking to Batman Scoop, because mm -hmm. you know, that's what I was doing. And he was talking about how he, <laughs> 6 a.m. mountain time and that's what I'm doing. I'm watching Snoop just pop it up on his Instagram live. I'm having such a nice time. And he's talking about how he, he ended up making up with Biggie before Biggie was murdered, mm -hmm. which I didn't know. And mm -hmm. it made me think of you and I, I made a mental note that if it came up, I was gonna remember to ask you, um, were you around at that time when Biggie was taken from us? I was there that night. Yeah, sure. We were all together. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I was wondering about that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Anything that you would like to share from that? Just, I, I had to, when I found out about it, I was driving in Los Angeles. I was there for work and I, I had to pull over and cry mm. at the loss. Um, anything that you could share about that night, what you felt, what you saw, what it feels like now. I know that I have several listeners who are going to be interested to hear that up close. I mean, I'll never get over it. Um, it was never the same. Um, yeah. Puff was never the same. Yeah. It really, the, it was a seismic shift in in, in our world. Um, I mean, there's no, it's a murder scene. So there's no, there's no highlights prior, prior to that. We were at a party mm. and we were all together and big, big was like, there go Jeff with the ladies. Jeff's oh. always with the ladies. <laughs> And, that, and that's the last thing that he said to me. There go Jeff with the ladies. Jeff's always with the ladies. But the wow. party felt weird. The energy was off. I mean, I just felt it off. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to go. Because I think we had been hanging out for a couple of days. You know, it was like a long, kind of long, long week into weekend. Mm. And I went. I left. We, we were in, we were in, yeah, we were in, in Hollywood, like by the Peterson Peterson Auditorium, and then I, um, yeah, I just went to my hotel. I was in my hotel for maybe twenty minutes, and and I got a call. Yeah, go to the hospital. They had to take Big to the hospital, and you know, it was all it was all bad. The, the rest of it was, I had twenty twenty six kids that worked for me all in L.A. Yep, I had to get everybody home. Like I'm. They were all kids, you know. We were all we were all babies. I, I what was I? Twenty eight. Yeah, you're in your late twenties. Yep. So, uh, I mean, there were teenagers there, yep. you know, and everybody. We thought we were going to get killed. We didn't know what was going on. Like we didn't have an argument with Suge. There was no East Coast versus West Coast beef. It wasn't real. Yep. But someone, some some ones took it upon themselves to make it very real. And uh, and we were we were just scared, you know. Yep. But I don't know, you know, I, I, something about it was like, it's not time to be scared, Jeff. Like, it's time to get into action, get everybody home, yep. get Biggie's mom to him, yep. get Puff out of here because Puff fell apart, yep. get Puff out of here. And Andre was there and Jimmy Love was there and, we Andre, just rest in peace. My yeah, God. My man, the best. We we just banded together as we always did. Mm. And we, we did what we had to do. And we got everybody we got everybody home. And I got I got home. I stayed 
until Biggie's mom and Faith came. Right. Took them to the funeral home, and then um, and then I got on a plane. Yep. And brought my ass home. It was just dark days. Dark you know, days. I watched that documentary. I'm not going to say anything about it here because it's you know everything is speculative at best, but we all know there was no beef. It's clear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell your audience. You know, there's no, there's no yeah. argument. There's no. If you don't do this, we're going to do this. There's no such thing. No. We were just making records, man. Like we make records. We just make records. That's all. We just want to. We want to entertain people. You want to entertain people. Who are you most excited about now? Teach us about the artists you're dying over right now. You know, I'm I'm so excited to be able to work with Kanye West. Like I, I never worked with <gasps> Kanye West. I knew Kanye West. Right. And uh Oh my god. And I just and, and you know, Kanye's so you know, he's so, he's such a hot button. But I, I've always loved him. Like all like all his antics and all his shit and if if you speak with him, it will make complete sense. Like the man yeah. is utterly brilliant and yes. and and a wild thinker. He's literally creating. He's definitely created his own universe of, and planet yes. of thinking. But it but it all makes sense. And and we, I flew to Wyoming before the Jesus is King album and spent you know two days out in Wyoming and listened mm-hmm. to the album and mm-hmm. I was like. My man is gonna make gospel cool. Like he gonna make hip hop guy. He gonna make gospel cool, which I thought he did. Was the, he the did. The in the world and the choir and how we got the whole world singing gospel songs and yes. performed it. You know, on Sunday morning at Coachella, like that. And then, of course, you're inspired to work with Kanye because he's one of the best ever to do it. So I'm, I'm really inspired by him in terms of new artistry. There's a young a young artist by the name of Cash Page who is creating a genre. We're calling it toxic R and B because you know young kids are so emo now. So right, you know what I'm saying. So <laughs> toxic R and B, but that's dope. That's dope. She's got a very interesting way of approaching melody that nothing sounds like anything else right. that anyone's ever done. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having some great conversations and very. She's got a record called Love Songs that really took off to, you know, I don't know, that's close to 100 million streams. Um, mm. She's incredible. I'm excited to work with YG, who's a huge West Coast rapper that we're going to be taking massively global. He's got, you know, we did a march two weeks ago in LA. YG brought 50,000 people out. Wow to protest against the police. The following week, we put out a record called Fuck the Police. Yeah. About about five million streams in a week. I'm excited about that record. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a young rapper from LA by the name of Bino Rideau, who's, um, he's got a couple of really, really special records. He's got a record called Brand New. Super, super melodic, like I'm a sucker for melody. I, I know you way. are. Yeah, I love I the way he approaches the song. And, if I can't sing along, I don't know why I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? Right. I want to be able right. to sing along. I want to be involved right. in the music in some way. So really excited excited about that. And, yep. and of course, you know, uh, I manage an artist by the name of Quinn who, you know, is one of the most special voices and songwriters and creators. Like she creates all her own videos and her own clothes and all the music and the writing and you know she's created her own genre called fantasy soul and there's just nothing there's just nothing else like her so um you know she's like my sister and my partner and i'm in love with what the future holds for her when i look at quinn i can't help but think who were her parents they must be incredible she's mexican and puerto rican no way yeah yeah have you met her folks are they incredible I've met both her mother and father. Her mother is just a darling school teacher out in Pasadena. Yeah. Her father was a musician. He plays the congas. So you know anybody that plays congas has got some serious, serious rhythm going on. Mm-hmm. So that's in her in her DNA. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And she she said to me when I first met her, it's gotta be five years now, that I don't I don't 
I don't want to do it like anybody else. And I believe yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and, and I've been following her. The the interesting thing about my relationship with her is while I've created a lot of pathways for artists in my career, in this case, I'm I'm simply an assistant to her path. That's a beautiful thing. I remember when you told me about her the first time and I was like I just had to lie down Ooh. to listen to her music when you first yeah. sent it to me. I was like, dang, what is that? Put out some new stuff. She did she did this duet with Miguel called Heal the World, which is beautiful. Oh, okay. She introduced it. So it's kind of like I was able to put all my peoples mm -hmm. together. So her and Tip, and then we just added Miguel, oh, wow. Heal the World. We're going we're gonna to release that very soon. Um, will you make sure you send it to me and I'll post it? I will. She wrote it a long time ago. Mm. And then um, I was like, yeah, you know, you're, she never finished it. You know, she, she starts and stops a lot of stuff. So... I was like, yo, you ever think about that record again? She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we should probably do that. Mm -hmm. And then I called Miguel's manager, and I was like, yeah, would, Miguel is his favorite. You think he would jump on this? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was Let's like, Tip, you still, got that, you still got that track for Heal the World? Like, Miguel's going to jump on it. He was like, yeah, man, we could do it. Let's do it. So we're finishing It's funny that. when you do his voice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My man. The best yeah. of the best. Oh my God. Yeah. Kamal Fareed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hard to beat that guy. No, it's very hard to beat that guy. You can't. That music comes on when I'm running. I've texted you a couple of times when it's happened to, when I've been in these far flung places, but dude, I can only think of you and me dancing in some basement on Bleecker street <laughs> in the freaking early nineties, just hitting yeah. it so hard. So pretty. So good. I have three questions that I usually ask every guest. I'm only going to ask you the second two because the first one we've already established the answer to, which is what needs healing right now. The second question is, what is your favorite view? And it can be anything. You know, it can be esoteric, literal, figurative, anything. I have a little place, you know, the Hamptons is my happy place. I know. That when I when I first started going there in my early twenties, we a big bunch of guys rented this house, like just way too many guys, like Brett, 11, Jason. 11 guys, three bedroom house, you know. I like remember insane. And um, down the road was uh, at the end of this beach road was this entrance to Northwest Harbor, you know, just off the of Sag, and it's just the world stops and it's just so still mm. there and the water just laps quietly to the shore. And I don't know, I just feel drawn to this place. I've been going there now 30 years. Yep. Whenever I have to make a major life decision, whenever I need to pause, whenever I can, I go to that place and, look across the water from the shores of, of Northwest Woods over to Shelter Island. And I've watched the sunset there just countless times now. And mm. the most beautiful, amazing place. And I brought my children there. And now, you know, when we stay out there in the summer, I take them there at sunset and they swim at sunset, which <sighs> is like just unbelievable. <laughs> what a gift you give to them my god yeah we we we, we getting it in y'all we getting it yeah. in you know yeah. <laughs> the last question I promise what does prayer mean to you <sighs> i pray in so many ways um i pray to uh higher power i pray to myself, of myself being its, its highest power. Um, I find the ability to find clarity and peace in my thinking and posing questions or my desires or fortifying my dreams with whatever forces exist outside of myself, 
to guide me in any way possible. So mm. um, I find myself saying long prayers and little micro prayers and all kinds of prayers that uh, need it need answering for myself mm. or for others. We're all in need of a lot of prayer now, like so much pain these last few months, you know, I've oh, lost yeah. a couple of family members. I lost my brother Dre and that uh, I'll never get over that. And you um, did. the pain of it's so serious. Pain of watching George die. Yeah. You know, and the anguish of watching people isolated and separated from each other by masks and gloves and yep. you know, I don't know what all this is for, but we certainly need to pray on it and, and, and pray that we learn the lessons that we need to learn so we can move past this painful period and figure out what, what it is that we're supposed to do next, you know, yep. and do it right. I feel in my heart, I really wanted to talk to you because I know that you're bringing music during this time, no matter what, this is what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. You're bringing music out. And that was one of the real main thrusts of why I wanted to talk to you right now, because there's, as your daddy taught you, you got to make it, make it great wherever you are, whatever shit is going down. And that, I think that is what your life is about. I think, I think so. that's what you do. Yeah. That's yeah. Been my experience of you. Well, I've been very blessed. You know, I've been, I've been so, so fortunate and so lucky, mm. like just so lucky that I always felt like I had to, I had to make sure I gave back because nobody gets to have it this good. Like, come on, man. Like, damn, like it goes good for me. You know, yeah, it so does. we're doing it a does. lot of, we're doing a lot of work. You know, years ago, I was doing all that work with, with Mr. Belafonte, Harry Belafonte, and right. it was very, it was very, you know, this is after Eric Garner's death and after Michael Brown, and it was, it was difficult to really get people to engage, and people really believed it was a black problem, and people wondered, were the police violent brutes? They weren't. They, they really didn't believe it, and I, and I, and I don't mind casting the finger at black people as well. When I when I ask for help, people act like they had something better to do. A lot of people shun me, and, and these are, you know, business colleagues for many years, and it was particularly challenging and difficult. And this time, I found myself in a senior position at the Universal Music Group, and as it happens, the interim CEO of Def Jam Records is a man by the name of Jeff Harleston, who his father brother was a line brother with my daddy so we've known each other professionally for upwards of 20 years and he's a passionate uber intelligent brother and we now sit in a position to to leverage the power of the universal music group to make lasting and systemic change and he he appointed me to a subcommittee of our task force internally on policy legislation and, and voting and you know, I'm able once again to put my frustration to work and mm. build bridges to, you know, organizations like the Color of Change and Michelle Obama's organization, When We All Vote, create these partnerships and activate all of our artist partners who have the loudest voices in the world, in right. the world. In the world. To speak to change in a, in a systematic way, like not as just individuals, but as a as a voice as a unified voice for yeah. change and to make art that reflected that reflects that change that they want to see in the world and um and then once again look what happens mm -hmm. i'm blessed to sit in a seat that i can actually deliver art to shift culture so look what happens <laughs> it's exactly what needs to be I ain't happening that shit just happened so no, I'm going to do what I got to do, you know, I'm going to do what I got to do. I just want to cut from the little kid in the grocery store calling out to that dead mother. Mm. Straight to this. <laughs> you know, if I could, that's the, that's the little short I would make and say, this is, this is what's happening now. This is the healing that's taking place. And this is 
one of the people who's about to make it. So, yeah, she, you know, <laughs> thanks for the thanks for the inspiration, then, mother lady. Yeah. <laughs> How you like me now? How you like me now? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I just have to say, forget about thank you because that'll never do it. But boy, am I so honored to just be your friend for all these years and have gone through so many different phases and people and places with you. You are a light in this world. You're my fucking brother. And I could not love you anymore. Please, sister. You know, I always love to see you shining. We could do Mm. this and ever and ever and ever love you so much so so much namaste baby namaste and thank you so much for being here thank you Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.